any rate, well, what are we doing here? All year, we're working through the gospel according to John in a series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And today, we're in John chapter 13, and we're considering the humility of Jesus. It's remarkable. And this aspect of Jesus' character, maybe more than anything, uh, is so compelling to modern people. We love it when someone who is rich or powerful or famous is humble. One of my all-time favorite bands is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and you can judge me all you want, okay? I love the Heartbreakers. And I was able to see them at Summerfest uh, years ago before Tom Petty died, and I was very thankful for that. And one of the things that was so compelling about that show, aside from the guitar tone, was that he, Tom Petty is humble. Or at least that's his stage persona, okay? When he was up there, he thanked us for cheering for them. And it seemed sincere. He thanked us for the honor that they had to come and entertain us just for a couple hours. And it was so, it seemed so humble. It was so compelling. It's like, wow, what a guy. Okay, now maybe it was all an act. I don't know. I don't know Tom Petty in real life. And I hope that he, you know, that's how he is. But at any rate... It was his humility, the level of humility that he demonstrated on a huge stage with all kinds of success in his career that was really impressive. Now, I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know why exactly, but humility is a powerful thing. But to be honest, humility is also a very tricky thing to work on. Because as soon as you think about it, as soon as you notice it, oh, humility, it disappears. You might do something or you might say something and think, wow, that was really humble of me to do or that was really humble of me to, do that, uh, to say that to that person. I didn't even like that person and see how I treated them. Okay, poof, it's gone. <laughs> it's, it's gone, it disappeared. Pride is still pride even and probably especially if it's generated by your own humility. But this is a broken world, right? And we're sinful people. So pride, ego, self-centeredness, these things are the default mode of the human heart. And I've noticed that recently it's become popular on social media to talk about narcissists. To beware of the narcissist. But narcissism is nothing new. It is just selfish pride. And it doesn't take too much observation, I think, if we're honest, to see some narcissistic tendencies in our own lives. Or am I the only one who looks at myself in a group photo first to see if the group photo is good? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one that struggles with this. Well, at any rate, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to John chapter 13, starting with verse 1, because we need all the help with this that we can get. So we're going to read through this passage, amazing story, and we'll unpack it as we go. John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What an incredible statement. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he began pouring, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, let's pause here for now. So, everything in John's gospel has built up to this point. John has been alluding to the hour of Jesus since chapter 2. But even before that, Jesus was described by John the Baptist as the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and now, John says, that hour has come. The time was here. For the last few weeks as a church, we've been working through the events of the week leading up to the cross of Christ, starting with his anointing by Mary, his friend at, at Bethany, and then being welcomed into Jerusalem as a king with people waving uh, palm branches and shouting Hosanna to the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. We saw last week the end of his public teaching ministry and the difficulty of faith. And now here, and for the next four chapters of John's Gospel, we'll cover the Last Supper and all the events and teachings leading up to the arrest of Jesus. So understandably, at this point in his life, Jesus had a lot on his mind. Knowing or understanding is mentioned six different times in this passage. And whenever something is repeated, it's often a clue that that's important to understanding what this text is saying. John says that Jesus knew his hour had come, the hour of his suffering and death on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Literally, it says he knew the Father put all things into his hands. He knew that he had come from God as the one and only Son of God and he would return to his Father in heaven after the resurrection from the dead. But despite the fact that Jesus was about to sacrifice himself to be the Savior of the world, to accomplish all that God had promised that he would do in the entire Old Testament scriptures, despite the fact that his actions over the next few days would change the course of human history, Jesus wasn't only thinking about himself and what he would accomplish. He was also thinking about his disciples. John says that Jesus knew that he loved them and he would continue to love them to the end, even though one of his disciples was going to betray him. And many would abandon him in the next few days. John says that the devil had prompted or had put it on Judas's heart to this idea of betraying his friend Jesus. The idea of selling out Jesus, a man who had never sinned and who here only continued to love and serve his friend Judas. To betray Jesus for, to his enemies for only 30 pieces of silver was literally satanic. Now, I think it's worth mentioning that this is almost always how the devil works. The movies get it wrong. The devil works most commonly by planting the seed of an idea that is terribly destructive, 
but it is wrapped in a lie that makes it seem right. Now, I'm sure that Judas felt justified in betraying Jesus, even though it was pure evil. And God took that evil betrayal and he turned it into the greatest good thing that anyone could ever imagine, resulting in the salvation of all who would believe in Jesus. But still, if I were Jesus, at the very least, I wouldn't have washed Judas' feet. But Jesus was humble. And he didn't just tell us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. This was his way of life. Jesus loved Judas. And Jesus served Judas, despite the fact that Judas would reject his love and his service for the sake of money. Well, at any rate, knowing all of this, with all of this on his mind, what would Jesus do? Well, John says that knowing all this, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, Jesus did something totally unexpected. He got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, probably a cloak, so it wouldn't get dirty, wrapped a towel around his waist like a servant, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel around his waist. Can you imagine if you were sitting at the table? What would you have thought? What would you have felt when you saw Jesus start to do this? Would this have made you feel uncomfortable? I know some of you are, feel uncomfortable just thinking about someone touching your feet, much less washing them in front of the people waiting to eat. Why was Jesus doing this? Why? Was he not the Messiah, the, the promised one sent by God to save his people? Was he not the king of the kingdom of God sent to reign and rule over all the earth? Why was he acting like a common servant? Well, we see the confused response of Simon Peter, starting with verse 6. Let's continue with this passage. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is, was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Okay, let's pause here. Clearly not, right? <laughs> Do you understand what I've done for you? No. Okay, so... At least Peter doesn't understand what Jesus has done for him, but none of the other disciples speak up either, so we can assume that they probably missed the point as well as lacking the courage to speak up. But let's dig into Peter's response first. So at first, Peter seems horrified at the thought of Jesus washing his feet. Lord, Master, are you going to wash my feet? I think a certain healthy percentage of us probably would feel the same way. Jesus, what are you doing? No way am I letting anybody touch my feet. 
Uh, much less you, Lord, especially in the hot, dusty Middle Eastern climate of the city of Jerusalem. No one would have had clean feet. But Jesus, again, despite having the weight of the world on his heart and his mind, is so patient with Peter. You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. For the parents in the room, have you ever said that to your kids? <laughs> it sounds like a parent. Uh, you'll thank me later, even though you don't understand what I'm doing today. But Peter escalates, saying no to Jesus. Now, is that a good idea ever? Is that ever a good idea to say no to Jesus? Have you ever said no to Jesus? It's never a good idea, because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then he was and is both infinitely wise and perfectly good. And so if he tells you to do something, it's never a good idea to say no to something that he wants to do in your life or to something he wants you to do for him, right? But Peter says no. You shall never wash my feet. But Jesus gently rebukes him, saying, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And watch how quickly Peter turns around, right? 180 degrees immediately. Then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And I love Peter, okay? He was quick to speak. He was quick to get into trouble. He was also pretty quick to repent, even if he still didn't fully understand what Jesus was talking about here. And I kind of resonate with Peter at times in my life, too. Peter, Peter jumps in, right? And Jesus responds, whoa, Peter, you don't, I'm, you don't need a bath, okay? Now this, to me, this implies that none of this is really about personal cleanliness or hygiene, right? This is a symbol that Jesus is doing here. But if it wasn't really about having clean feet for dinner, then what was Jesus doing? What was the lesson here? Well, he explains himself, himself starting with verse 13. Let's continue on. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is God's word. So, I love that Jesus starts his explanation by saying, you call me teacher and you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. It's kind of a boss statement, right? <laughs> like, you call me rabbi, you call me teacher, you follow me and I show you the way, right? That's how this relationship works. You listen to me and I teach you what is true. But you also call me Lord, you call me King, Lord, Master, right? I command and you must obey. Well, what, am, is, what is Jesus teaching or commanding here? Well, he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And the amazing thing to me is that Jesus didn't simply tell them to do this, which he could have just told his disciples to do this. He modeled this behavior for them. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus never commands 
us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Because that's the kind of leader that Jesus is. He goes first and we follow him. He models the behavior and the way of life that he calls us into when we put our faith and trust in him. But again, he is not teaching a lesson in hygiene here, right? So what's the lesson? Well, Jesus models, what Jesus models is like a little picture of the cross. It's humbly serving the needs of others. It's humility almost to the point of humiliation. But Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't worry about what other people think of him. This was his way. In Mark's gospel, Mark says, For even Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus really was the king of all creation, with all the authority in heaven and on earth given to him in his hands, then no one ever would deserve to be more glorified, more honored, more respected. No one would deserve to be more served than Jesus. And yet that's not why Jesus came. In fact, just the opposite. He came to give his life. Not because he needed anything from us. Not because he needed us. But in order to meet our greatest need. Our alienation, our separation from God. Our need to be forgiven and freed from the power of sin and death. Our need for life and life to the full. And this is just so radical. This is so different. This is such a different way to lead. How could anyone make this up? Before Jesus, nobody valued humility. No one talked about what a good idea servant leadership was, like this good and noble thing. The fact that servant leadership is a value in our secular culture today is a testimony to the remaining wisdom and influence of Jesus on people that forgot where servant leadership came from. None of the ancient lists of virtues, if you go back and read the brilliant people who have always, have always written about such things, like how should we live? No one included humility in a list of virtues. Ancient Greeks, ancient Romans, they valued wisdom. They valued courage. They valued self-control, moderation, and justice. And these are all great virtues too, but they never included humility as something for individuals or for a whole society of people to aspire to or adopt as a way of life because humility was something that only servants or slaves had to have because of the humble position that they had in life. So no one would choose to be humble, would they? Very truly I tell you, says Jesus. And remember, in John's Gospel, this, is a phrase, this phrase was Jesus' way of saying, what I'm about to say is important, so pay attention. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now, in this scenario, Jesus is both the master and we are servants, and he is the one who commissions or sends us out with the message, and we share this, we bear this message, which, of course, is the gospel. And if Jesus is okay with humble service, then we must be okay with it too. We're not above him. If the Son of God wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, then who are we to think that we're above this sort of thing? In a sermon on the humility of Jesus, Tim Keller said, most of us feel inferior and act superior to compensate for it. But Jesus Christ knew he was superior, we saw that in this passage, and acts the inferior. He puts all of his power and glory under the interests of others. What a remarkable truth. And Jesus did know. Didn't he? John makes that so clear in this passage. Uh, As I said, knowing is a major theme here. Six times John refers to what Jesus knew or understood compared to what the disciples did not yet know or did not yet understand. And Jesus Jesus didn't wash his disciples' feet, of course, because he was confused about his status or his identity or his mission. And yet Jesus teaches that it isn't only about what you know The blessing here in humble service is found in doing what you know is true. Growing as a disciple of Jesus is not just about learning more and more information. Although there is a lot to learn about who God is and what he has done and what he has promised for our future. True growth is not gaining information alone. It's about transformation. It's about repenting, turning from your old way, and turning to a new way of life lived in alignment with the gospel, a a new way of life, the way of following Jesus. And one of the main themes of, of the gospel message that we bear is that of humble service. Jesus, the greatest, becomes the least. Jesus, the master of all, becomes the servant of all. And this is why Jesus told Peter that if he refused to let him serve him, he would have no part with Jesus. The message of the gospel is not, here are the steps to make you a better person. The gospel says there's nothing you could do to save yourself. You need a savior. You need the humble service of Jesus. And if you refuse to receive the gospel as a gift of God's grace, then you, you've completely missed the point. So Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Well, how do we do these things? How do we literally or metaphorically wash one another's feet? How can we apply the example of Christ to our lives and maybe grow in humility? Well, first we must see that the problem of the world is not just out there. It starts in here. Our problem with pride comes from within. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
we are all way too focused on ourselves and on our opinions and on our preferences. And let's be honest, we like our opinions and preferences, right? They seem right to us, right? Of course, our culture doesn't help. It just fans the flames of pride day by day. But wherever we might live, or whenever in history we might live, this has always been a problem. So followers of Jesus must regularly repent of the sin of pride. But then in repentance, we must turn from our default mode and turn to the way of Jesus. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now this could apply to kids and their parents. This could apply to any younger person, to any older person in general within the church. But Peter says all of you, no one is exempt. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. When Peter wrote those words to clothe yourself with humility, do you think he thought of the towel that Jesus wrapped around his waist? Or listen to the Apostle Paul who says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Why? Well, not to prove how spiritual you are. There is such a thing as spiritual pride. Pride in your holiness, pride in your righteousness, pride in your theology and doctrine. We are to do these things because this is the way of Jesus. Humility is just one of the many things that the gospel produces in the life of a believer. And this is why, if we believe that this story is true, if we believe that Jesus came into the world, he left the glory and riches of heaven in order to come down into the dirt of the earth, not just to receive more glory, honor, and praise, but to give his life as a sacrifice for us, to die, be buried, but rise again from the dead. It's in this story that we see that we love because he first loved us. We humbly serve the needs of others because he humbly served our greatest needs first. But what a countercultural place would this be if we all, as a church, committed ourselves to be like Jesus? to do the jobs that other people look down on, to notice the needs of people maybe that are often overlooked, to put the towel around our waist, get down on our knees and serve and love and honor other people as Jesus has done for us. If this church was like that, even a bit, what a blessing this community would be. As we move forward in the story of John's gospel, let's remember this story. Jesus was honored when his friend Mary anointed him. 
and didn't pay attention to the people around her who didn't understand what she was doing. Jesus adopted the same posture when he washed his disciples' feet. Let's follow him. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your great and just unfathomable love that you have for us. Father, I ask that you'd forgive us for our self-centered, foolish pride. I pray that the, the example that Jesus set before us here and ultimately the, the greater example of him sacrificing himself on the cross to meet our greatest spiritual needs. I pray that this, these stories of this Jesus would change us, would transform us into people who are willing to humbly serve the needs of others. Who would see it as a, a high calling to simply serve. Father, forgive us when we ignore and overlook the people around us. Forgive us, Lord, for being consumed with our own opinions, preferences, our own way. Help us to set ourselves and our ego aside to pick up our cross or pick up our towel and follow Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.